Welcome to the official podcast of the Galway International Arts Festival 2022. I'm Andy Gaffney. And I'm Orla Higgin. In this show, we'll have interviews with guests, take a look behind the scenes and give you all the theatre recommendations you need for this year's festival. And this episode is all about theatre. Later, we'll be joined by Sonia Kelly, who tells us all about her new play, The Last Return. You know, in the words of the great Mark Atwood, she said, you know, thou shalt not bore. And I really do, you have a duty of care to entertain your audience. We'll also be taking a look back with Judy Murphy and a look behind the scenes of how all things theatre come together for the festival. I'm told uh, I make a mean, mean cocktail. I don't know if that's true or not, but... What's your cocktail? What's your go-to cocktail? Uh, that's not my favourite, but I think crowd favourite is mojitos, you know. <laughs> But first, Anne Clark is the producer for Landmark Productions, who have been behind such massive theatre pieces, such as Walking With Ghosts and last year's Incredible Medicine. I sat down with Anne to chat about Landmark's new production, The First Child, which runs at the festival from the 18th to the 24th of July. Anne Clark, thank you very much for joining us today. Delighted to be here. So how are you feeling considering it's the, the build-up to opening night? Good. Yeah, really excited about getting back to Galway. Um, really excited to be there with this huge production. The First Child has a, a company of 65 people, would you believe? So we're actually getting to Galway next week during the first week of the festival uh, and we're rehearsing in Galway and we'll explode onto the stage of the Bailey Allen Hall on Monday, the following Monday. And I think that's only what we can expect really from an end Walsh production is an explosion onto the stage and then for the duration um, of the play itself. Can you tell us a little bit about it and what the audience can expect? Yeah, so it's it's the third in a trilogy of operas that Enda has made with the composer Donacha Dennehy. And they, I suppose they inhabit a similar territory in that they're set in modern suburban Dublin. On the face of it, things are very pedestrian, almost banal, you know, the, 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 this show opens with, uh, a, a, you know, somebody buying a baby carrier in a shop, um, you know, and there's talk of buffets and there's talk of, you know, so, so on the surface, it, it feels very ordinary, but as ever with Ananda Walsh play, um, the, <laughs> you scratch the surface, surface and all sorts of, of dark things are lurking beneath. Um, and of course, Enda has written, so many wonderful plays, which which several of which Landmark has co-produced with Galway International Arts Festival. But this he's also written this this trilogy of operas, and this is the third in the series. But you don't have to have seen the first two to enjoy uh, the first child. So what can people expect? Well, it's going to be a feast for the senses. So you have everything coming together. There's extraordinary music played by live by Crash Ensemble, who are one of the most amazing ensembles who 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 have worked a lot with with Donica's music, as well as lots of other brilliant composers. It has it has video, it has dance, there are actors, there's a children's chorus, there's uh, it's 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 an incredible assembly of of riches really in terms of how to tell a story. So yes, so it's an extraordinary collection of artists have come together to tell this story. So we have obviously the wonderful writing by Enda. He's an extraordinary director, as we know from from the plays as well that he's he's brought to Galway. Um, the music is wonderful, played live by this amazing uh, ensemble of musicians in Crash Ensemble. Um, we have Joan Sheehy, who's an actor. We have amazing singers. We have a children's chorus. There is amazing video work by Jack Phelan. 
it's it's a ninety minutes non-stop immersion in this strange and wonderful world that Enda and Bonica have dreamed up. So when Enda first came to you, or however that worked, and talked about, oh, I have an idea for a trilogy of operas, like, what did you think? He's completely mad, or let's go for it? So Enda and Donica had worked together first on Mr. Man, actually. Donica composed the music for Mr. Man. And it was one of those really happy chance meetings in terms of, you know, you always go into an artistic collaboration hoping for the best, but sometimes you meet somebody who really chimes with your vision and with your way of working and with your openness and willingness to collaborate. And Enda and Danica really just got on really well, really admired each other's work. They were both at a really um, almost a similar point in their careers where they were making huge waves internationally. Donica had an idea for an opera that he wanted to to write and he talked to End about it. And the subject matter uh, was very dark and a little sinister and it just um, it just chimed with Enda. So it was it was a bit of a roller coaster ride because neither of them had written an opera before and this is a huge deal and a huge commitment and I had no idea at the time. Uh, just how much of a commitment or how how long it would take Donica to write the music for an entire opera, for example. They started to collaborate. We were working, so Landmark worked with uh, Fergus Scheel of Wide Open Opera at the time. This was before Irish National Opera was established. And we just all, you know, held hands and jumped in. And um, uh, and then it was amazing. And it, it, it travelled. It was the, an extraordinary contemporary Irish opera, really quite challenging, but also very, um, it, it sort of struck a chord and it struck, it, it had a great crossover, I think, between people who are fans of Enda's work, people who are fans of Dunica's work, and it became a huge success. And after that, yeah, then <laughs> then then the, the bit was between their teeth. Uh, so after The Last Hotel came the second violinist, and now we have the first child. So yeah, so it's, I suppose, an accidental trilogy in a way, in that I think when we started with The Last Hotel, it wasn't intended to be to be the first in a trilogy, but it was clear to both Enda and Donica that artistically it was a really exciting thing for them both to explore, and they wanted to do more of it. And there clearly was an appetite for it and a hunger for it amongst audiences. And that's been one of the great things, actually, about doing... We did the second violinist at Go International Arts Festival a couple of years ago. They've also played at Dublin Theatre Festival. And there has been a tremendous crossover between theatre audiences and opera audiences and, you know, people who who might not otherwise have thought of going to see a, a, a modern Irish opera have gone and thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. Um, because you've got all the theatrical fireworks I suppose from a, a theatre play and then you've got extraordinary music layered on top so what's not to love exactly what's not to love and I think I, I would probably fall into that category as well you know having seen all the end of Walsh's plays and I suppose not particularly knowing much about opera but going yeah this sounds really interesting I'm definitely going to give that a go and definitely you definitely weren't disappointed you know it really was amazing so I can't wait for this one how do you even go about putting a production like that together how long in advance We'll say even of this year's one, have you started working on this? Well, so this, uh, I mean, this year's one was obviously, well, it got derailed because of COVID along with everything else. So that timeline for that isn't probably usual. But having said that, 
we've made these three operas in an extraordinary, extraordinarily tight time frame from, I think it's in the course of seven years. So when you think about it for two major artists like Andrew Walt and Donica Dennehy to produce this body of work while they're also doing all sorts of other amazing work is really something else. And I think it, 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 it's a sign of how important it has been to them artistically individually um, and how much how proud they are I think of the work I think everybody's very happy with the the the, the, the work that's been made yeah it is it is huge and that's the thing about opera <laughs> like opera compared to theatre you know where you can have you know small shows or even you know a large size a large ensemble theatre piece would have what a cast of nine or ten you know and there are while the cast size is small in this um, you know, you have all of the musicians, you have all the, you know, you have the children's chorus, you have the music staff, you have everybody else, all the creative team. Um, and as a result of Irish National Opera's involvement, the show after Galway will also, in the autumn, tour, do a tour of venues in Ireland. So again, and that's actually not something we were able to do with either of the first two operas. So this, that's a new development and that's a direct result of the the establishment uh, the establishment of INO and the um, and the way it's able to work. That's brilliant because it just means it's so much more accessible than isn't it to a wider audience. Uh, it's totally really, yeah. And what what makes a good producer? Because you seem to have the magic touch. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, okay. I do. I do sort of know a bit. I mean, I think you have to have, frankly. Stupid aptitude. Well, I was meant to say, frankly, a stupid aptitude for risk. You have to be prepared to work very hard. You have to. I think. I think the biggest thing you have to be very resilient. You have to. I have a sign on my notice board that says, "Never, ever, ever give up." You know, if you don't give up, that will get you a very long way down the road. And then, of course, there are also all the other, like the really important things in terms of you know, working with good people, you know, being able to mind those relationships, being able to make sure that people are in a position where they can do their best work. So yeah, so it's a lot about relationships and it's a lot about resilience. And then you just need to have a love for it. You know, there is no, there is nothing I would rather be doing with my life than to be putting on plays you know and the occasional opera um but yeah it's 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 an incredibly um it's an incredibly rewarding experience when you get a show on stage and you know it's the show that the writer wanted the writer and the director wanted to make uh, and that's a very fulfilling thing uh, and then obviously the other main uh, element the other leg of that stew is the audience so as long as you I mean it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing to get a show on stage and to have audiences coming in the doors and enjoying it and and going out and talking on street corners about it and telling their friends you have to go and see it um, and that's uh, yeah that's just very rewarding and I think uh, you know, doing a show in a festival and particularly in Galway is a wonderful opportunity for people who, it's that classic thing about festivals, people come for one thing and they stay for another or they take a chance on something that they mightn't otherwise do. And you can just, 
it, it's a it's a privilege to be able to to bring work to go away and to be able to um yeah to have the the open-hearted audiences that you encounter and go away i mean I, I always think it's really democratic you know you meet people in the street who've been to see all sorts of shows and they just want to talk about it and it's a very special place to be i mean enda could premiere his work anywhere in the world you know he's but the fact that he chooses to come and do it in the black box in Galway as part of the festival I think is testament to again that those relationships and that feeling of care about the work and that he knows that the work that he wants to make will get produced to the in the way that he wants it to be produced in this theatre at the end of a car park in the west coast of Ireland so it's it's been and you know the work has been hugely successful internationally you know it's gone on to play places like the Edinburgh International Festival St Anne's Warehouse in New York multiple times to the National Theatre in London the Barbican the Royal Opera House in London it's toured all over the world and it started here in Galway so it's um it's it's been a wonderful relationship and and we're yeah we're looking forward to this year's this year's outing and I hope that everybody who who's been to see plays like Mr Man or Arlington or Ballyturk who maybe haven't come to see an opera will come and see The First Child because all of the hallmarks of Enda's work um, that they love and have come to expect in terms of you know he often talks about you know wanting people to feel as though they're being buffeted by weather systems that's there in spades with the opera so um yeah it'll be um it's it's a wonderful experience so yeah so i hope i hope they'll all come and see the show Anne Clark from Landmark Productions there chatting about the first child which runs from the 18th to the 24th of July and you can grab tickets for that at giaf.ie and now let's go behind the scenes so one of the most important things about this festival is the volunteers that help it all come together so in order to get to know a few of the faces i've come down to the volunteer hub for a bit of speed interviewing First question is, what's your name and where do you come from? Uh, my name is Sylvia Nolan and I'm actually from the Clada here in Galway. Hi, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff Cherian. I'm originally from India, but I've been living in Galway since 2008. Uh, my name is Ina. I come from Ukraine. Is this your first festival? No, no, no. I've been volunteering, I guess, for more than 20 years on and off. No, I've uh, done a couple of years volunteering, uh, but since uh, since COVID, yeah, this would be the first big one. Yeah, is this your first festival? Yes, it is. What is your favorite memory of the festival? There's been a couple, but just to narrow it down, uh, Gulliver on the Beach back in Grattan Road, going back, I think, in the 80s, was amazing. And more recently, I would have loved um, Medicine by Enda Walsh last year. I think my uh, favorite would be maybe going back to three years ago when I don't remember if it was Jenny Green or uh, the passengers, and it was the crowd was just phenomenal, and we were trying to I was uh, kind of uh, managing the crowd, and I thought it was quite overwhelming. But then you know I had a lot of reassurance from all my colleagues and all the the chief uh, steward, and you know it was yeah quite a memorable because we could also enjoy the music as well. So it's kind of boogieing, but also doing mind being mindful of our duties as volunteers, you know. <laughs> I haven't done any of the festivals, so I'm going to create a lot of memories. What is your favorite thing to do in Galway? My favorite thing would be we have a, we've started something called Silent Discos that happens in, during the daytime. So we do that almost every day in Salt Hill. We just encourage the locals to join in and we all mix music for 40 minutes. And yeah, and then obviously taking a cold dip once in a while when I'm brave enough for it. <laughs> 
I like to walk around the city. I like to listen to the music, street music, different bands. I like to go to, go to the beach. I like to swim in the cold water. Favorite thing to do in Galway would definitely be to explore our beautiful beaches. Um, walks by the, the River Corrib at the back of the NUI. Do you have any special talent or party trick? Um, I'd have many, I suppose. Um, but would I like to mention one? Sure, I could sing a little song here and there. But whether I would do it now today, I know the time is of the essence. I wouldn't like to subject uh, the listeners to that. I'm a painter. I mean, that's pretty. That's, a, that's pretty talented. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm told uh, I make a mean, mean cocktail. I don't know if that's oh, true or not. What's your, what's your cocktail? What's your go-to cocktail? Uh, that's not my favorite, but I think crowd favorite is mojitos, you know. <laughs> Obviously, volunteers are great at solving problems. So I'm going to throw a problem at you here. What belongs to you, but other people use it more than you? Well, I have a car and I have two adult daughters. So I would have to say that they would use my car nearly more so than I would use it myself. I think the answer to this was your name, but that is a much better and quicker answer. So you have nailed this questionnaire. Well done. I have a wee problem here for you. Mm -hmm. uh, so you live in a one-story house built from redwood. What colour would be the stairs? The stairs? Yeah. One floor. <laughs> look at this, look at that straight, uh, uh, look no. at that straight. <laughs> Unless I have a basement. <laughs> what has many keys but cannot open a single door? I'm not sure if I get that. I've looked at the Riddle King here in the background. He's, it's a piano. No, I would not get that either. It's a piano? Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. My name is Judy Murphy. I'm arts editor with the Connington City Tribune. I worked with the Galway Advertiser before that and as a freelance journalist and critic for many years covering the Galway International Arts Festival and going to events that have delighted, enthralled, sometimes annoyed, uh, but always stimulated. It's an extraordinary thing to go into a theatre. It's an extraordinary thing because you're going into a space that takes you on a journey of an imagination. And to me, there is nothing like it. It's beyond film. It's almost beyond books in some ways. Uh, it's, it's my favourite form of arts. Uh, you just go in and you enter this agreement unspoken with a group of actors on the stage, a director somewhere behind, that they are going to take you on a journey and you are submitting to this journey. And it is the most magical experience when it works. The first play that I really remember being blown away by that I saw in the Arts Festival was Tom Murphy's Whistle in the Dark. Uh, it was in the Columban Hall in Sea Road, to the best of my memory. It was 1987. It was a Druid Abbey Theatre co-production. And it had... It was about the Kearney family who emigrated from Mayo to England and uh, one of the brothers who just wants to get married, get on with his life and forge a new life in England. And that's all fine until all his family rock over and end up staying with them. And it turns into a, just a, a mad Irish drunken angry fest and it was extraordinary. McLally played the, the guy who was just wanted to create a new life with his wife and Sean McGinley played Harry, the brother who just from would go from charming to being absolutely sadistic on the turn of a pin. And it was it was just amazing. It was it was awful and it was brilliant at the same time. And you came out of that place thinking I'm not going to be the same after seeing this show. And of course, it was such a male, male world as a lot of Tom Murphy's work is, not all of it, but that sort of sense of savagery and barely contained um, civilization. They weren't civilized. 
they, they just weren't. This family were straining at the bit to kind of fight and kill each other and it was just, it was transformative. That, that definitely for me. And, and again, Druid, I suppose, uh, Geraldine Aaron, The Same Old Moon, uh, which I loved again because Geraldine Aaron was a Galway woman via South Africa, Galway. Uh, and this play was a play that I think any Irish young one who went to school in the Mercy Convent or any convent could relate to us. They talked about they had sex education. I mean, those memories would just never, ever leave you. Uh, so I, uh, those are two homegrown ones that, that for me, uh, early days that just kind of would would really resonate still, even still for me. And of course, we've had so many visiting shows as well. You think you've gone into the fisheries field to see Footsburn and you think of that smell of the tent and the grease paint. And again, the way they took you off to other places with Macbeth or A Midsummer Night's Dream or all the kind of various plays they did down through the years in those early days. And again, we'd never seen anything like it. I think that was what was so amazing was that, you know, for those of us who were go- used to going to see shows as we did uh, in our villages and towns, in small courthouses or theatres, or then you graduated to go into Druid or the Abbey or wherever, uh, it, this was a whole new experience. And it, it, it continued on that way. And, I th- and then on a more sort of sombre note, um, Mr. Man. Is it true, though? Did you really kill him, Thomas? Look at your face. There's still blood. You need help, Thomas. Mr. Man, which was 2011, uh, which Killian Murphy and Enda Walsh, uh, Enda wrote it and directed it, and Killian performed it as a one-man show in the black box. And it was... It was loosely based on real events about a guy who had um, killed people earlier in the 1990s. And this character had voices in his head and it was just... Killian Murphy was brilliant. Uh, the direction was brilliant. The piece was wonderful. Uh, heartbreaking. Uh, funny at times, but really, really heartbreaking. And again, uh, as a, with a lot of Ender Walsh's plays, but this one was more... I suppose it was the early days, so it wasn't quite as sophisticated as later, but just incredible use of technology. Uh, in a way that really worked and really fitted the piece. And uh, it was it was such a powerful piece of theatre. Um, that, that would be another standout moment. And then when you think of all the other kind of... Uh, two, two others that uh, in the Irish language, which you kind of forget sometimes, so we, we do have very good plays in the Irish language on during the festival... The most recent one was Lehenta Sonna last year, which was a co-production between SJ, the Abbey and the Arts Festival. And there was some other company as well. But it was on outdoors in Inishir in the Iron Islands. And to get on the boat, to go there, to sit in a field, Brittany Nocton and Raymond Keane were, it was a translation of Happy Days, sorry, by Michal Canila. And Brittany Nocton was Winnie and... Um, Raymond Keane was her husband, always trying to reach her, but never trying to reach her. And to sit there and to watch it. And the set, the set was extraordinary. A ball gown made out of rocks that she was encased in. And to sit there and watch her and the sea crashing against the shore and the background and her absolute determination that even though the futility of life and the the whole getting old and the, the 
desperate difficulty of getting old and your life becoming more and more limited uh, that she was not going to give up. And it was so funny and it was so sad. And Mihala Canila's translation, you would swear Beckett had written it in the Irish language. It was just... It will it will stay with me, I think, for as long as my memory stays with me, it will stay with me. The other wonderful aspect of the festival was seeing companies like Steppenwolf that you wouldn't get to see on a normal day out. And I think that is what, while we have wonderful theatre in Ireland, and we do, and it is great to see and support our own theatre, and it's hugely important to... What is great about a festival like the Arts Festival is you get to see stuff you would not get to see otherwise. And when Steppenwolf came here with Sidemen, I think that was their first production in early 2000s. Again, a play about jazz, a different kind of a world to Galway, and it blew people away and it was just fantastic. And Steppenwolf kept that relationship with Galway and then the Irish Repertory Theatre Company with John Mahoney. uh, And they did plays like Eugene O'Neill's Long Day's Journey Into Night, which we wouldn't normally see. And it it just, they were they were amazing experiences. People like T-Bone Burnett coming over with them and doing shows alongside them and with them. They were, they were just, they were kind of halcyon days, really, I suppose, in terms of those relationships. But it's like all relationships. They came back for a few years and then you've kind of got to move on and branch out into different things because that's what keeps a festival fresh and new. For someone like me who wouldn't be a great person to love dance uh, or wouldn't want to have a huge understanding of dance, I suppose, more than anything else, is to, particularly with Paul Fahey, has brought in some of the best dan- com- dance companies and most challenging dance companies and people like Hofa Schechter and their um, journey that they take you on, the Israeli dance company, and sitting in the black box at their show, the the, the the intensity of it and the noise of it. And again, um, as I think more recently, the Rosemary Kennedy show, which wasn't the Irish National Opera, least like the other about Rosemary Kennedy, who had been um, forced to undergo psychiatric lobotomy, basically, um, by her family to keep her kind of out of the view and just so they, they could continue their up- upward trajectory in American social life and politics. Uh, that was that was, again, amazing. Uh, and that might have been something that I would have said, I'm not sure. And you go and you think, I'm so glad I went to that. The Last Return is a new comedy by Sonia Kelly telling the story of five people in a queue trying to get the hottest ticket in town. Sonia joined me to talk about the origins of the play as well as her own comedy background. Sonia Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. And apologies again for all the technical stuff. We got there in the end. Rehearsals are probably a light relief instead of trying to deal with all this technology, are they? Well, there's significantly more analogue. You know, all you need is the buses to run on time and for people to show up. Uh, So I guess a little bit, yeah. And how are rehearsals going? They're going well. They're in their second week now and... um, they are trucking along and they're still sort of trying stuff out and, you know, picking up certain ideas, putting them down. And um, it's, it's a lovely company of actors and a couple of them have showed up off book. I think they were so nervous about the amount of lines they had. They 
they got going on it early. So yeah, it's just very exciting to see it all come together. This show has been put on ice a couple of times because of the troubles the world has been in. And uh, so I'm, I'm delighted it's coming back and coming back to Galway International Arts Festival, which is the most fun festival ever. Yeah, because you've had a lot. I, I, for some, I always think of you as an honorary Galway person, of course, because, you know, I've seen like um, How to Keep an Alien, which I inadvertently keep calling How to Marry an Alien, but I suppose that's not too far from it. <laughs> and I, I, I was lucky enough to see furniture as well. Um, so how did your connection with Galway start off? It started, well, I, I, when I was an actor years ago, I auditioned for um, some Druid plays and I was in one or two of them. And then when I became a writer, Druid is one of the, you know, companies that sort of open their their portal to um, uh, unsolicited scripts, and they do an open call for submissions. So, I um, I submitted a play. This so is the first play I saw that wasn't in because I'd done a few plays I was in, and and this was the first one I kind of wasn't in, and I um, I wanted to sort of sort of open my account on being that kind of playwright and. Um, so I sent furniture into the Druid debut open call for submissions, and that got selected to um, for a rehearsed reading in the International Arts Festival, and they optioned it from there. And um, and it was just like there's been no grand plan or anything. It's just been one thing. So when furniture opened in um, the McLally, um I had been working on a draft of the last return and I had a very rough draft and I had a chat with Gary because she wanted to commission me and I said well will you read this so she did read it and they took they took it straight away so I was delighted and th- then the pandemic happened and it was, it was all shelved and they said to me well we'd like to commission you at least at like a small commission to do something of a reduced scale that might fit you know the circumstances were were in, and that became Once Upon a Bridge, which was live streamed during the, the deepest, darkest lockdown. And so that was the play that happened. And now we're back to the one they were supposed to do. So oddly, I have it's resulted in three plays coming through um, the McLally in 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 about four years or so. But as I said, there was no grand plan. It's just kind of. The way it worked out and just sometimes you just dance with the person who wants to dance with you and i guess if you're going to dance with somebody in theater circles i mean it's great to to get the opportunity to work with druid oh yeah absolutely and they are a company that they really put the writer at the center of the decision making and you're across so many of the preparatory phases and um uh, it really is uh, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And so the play this year then is called The Last Return. And I was just looking at the description in the in the programme and it says, not all good things come to those who wait, <laughs> which sounds both ominous and intriguing yeah. <laughs> to me. Can you tee it up for us and tell us a little bit about what the play is about? Well, the play is inspired by um, an experience I had queuing for a sold out show in Berlin on New Year's Day. And I joined a queue for theatre tickets and um, the idea being there's always tickets released at the last minute. It doesn't matter how sold out. If you queue for long enough, you, if you wait for long enough, you'll get in. But that is entirely dependent on how people behave within the queue. And um, something happens, and this was the very last night of the show, and something happens when people know, A, they'll never see each other again, and B, this is the last chance they'll ever see this show. 
So the things that went on in that queue, I can only describe as blood curdling in terms of how people try to cheat each other out of places and how they try to skip and junk, jump and, and uh, venagle their way to the top. So I, I, I was kind of struck by the experience and it really made me think about conflict and scale. And I was defending my two foot wide stool in a line in the way that other people defend territories. And it really made me think about, there's really very little difference between what's happening in this queue and what's happening in the world. And so I sort of took the idea of that and as a sort of as, with an absurdist kind of slant and, and sort of wrote a draft of this, these people queuing for tickets to a show. So it's a play about it's a play about people trying to get into a play, <laughs> and um, very, very meta, meta. altogether. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it also examines um, how we behave, how our social mask interacts with our immediate needs, and what we're prepared to do in terms of trading our dignity for our desires. And it's, it unpacks entitlement, it unpacks class, it unpacks race. Um, and so there's kind of a lot, of, it is a microcosm for, you know, human behavior. And sometimes, you know, the world is not a fair playing field. And sometimes when you queue up for something and wait, it doesn't necessarily mean you will get what you deserve because there are people prepared to do anything to get what they want. So um, I guess the play examines that as well. It's also, it's very entertaining and we have some absolutely whopper actors in it. Just when you said entertaining there, I suppose, like so many of your plays have that great mix of, you know, being able to move people and like look at, you know, the, the big themes, but look at them kind of how they affect people individually. But you, there's just huge humour um, in them. And that's obviously such a, a big makeup of, of who you are and how you how you produce your work. I, well, I think, you know, in the words of, the great Mark Atwood, she said, you know, thou shalt not bore. And I really do, you have a duty of care to entertain your audience. And I think humour is an, a wonderful sort of can opener for the brain. And if you get an audience to laugh, they'll accept, so, they'll accept your polemic and they're open to your polemic so much more. And I think, I think there's a real space in Irish theatre for kind of slick contemporary funny plays with a punch, with, with a message and with, a, you know, and so you get you get a lot for your ticket. You know you have you have a laugh, you have a think, <laughs> um, and on on, the, on its most simplest terms, I think about it. I, I think about it that way. But I think humor is a great skill to to open the mind to new ways of thinking, and um, it's a great tool for it. Um, and uh, I, I try to do that. I think if you get people laughing. Everybody's on common ground. Because you started at, well, you knew a lot of your very early work was stand-up. Yeah. That must have been quite quite the ride at the time, was it? It was terrifying. And I was, you know, um, I, I, I loved it, but I, I, I was sick of being nervous at four o'clock in the afternoon and then not being able to sleep until four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but what, what the, my time in stand-up gave me was an understanding of how jokes work and the principles of tension and release and the, the audience's desire for that tension and release. And then I guess what I did was I sort of mashed it up with everything I'd learned from theatre and reading great playwrights like um, Singh and Ibsen and Annie Baker and, and sort of taking the two principles of those two art forms and, and sort of running them together where 
um, um, where you can be funny, but you, in theatre you don't have to be funny all the time. In, in stand-up, like, you know, the general idea when you go to a comedy club is that you're funny all of, every seven seconds. <laughs> so, uh, um, and I think the world of theatre just allows you to tell broader stories, although I do think that's changing in comedy now with um, comedians who, who really want to say something about mental health and things like that. So then, I mean, how you made the, the move then, I suppose, from actor and being in your place, like how to keep an alien, um, and then to just watching people be your play, inhabit those mm. characters. Um, do you find that difficult? Are you quite happy now to take a, not quite a step back, because it's obviously, it's your work, mm-hmm. but not to be on stage as well? I love it. And like, you know, you know, it's also about the relationship we have with the director. I've worked with Sarah Joyce in the last two plays and she really gets the work. And we've done so much work on the text by the time she gets into the room with it. We're pretty clear on how everything should be. And then I'm quite cross casting as well. And, you know, there's no greater pleasure than an actor opening their mouth and the play just coming out. And you go, that's exactly like I have this thing in rehearsal, I have to sit on my hands because I keep fist pumping the air when I, the, you know, when they app, they absolutely land it the way it's supposed to be, and they're, they're like, "What? What is she doing?" I'm just in the corner going, Arr. It, "It is a wonderful thing." And I remember when, when Furniture came out and first, and we were in rehearsals, and I was watching Ashley O'Sullivan and Rebecca O'Mara run the lines in the corner of the rehearsal room, and going, "Wow, that's amazing." I sat and wrote that and nobody knew it existed and now there's two of the finest actors in the country going over and over and over and over to get the rhythms right and that's really humbling and and wonderful experience and a great privilege. And do you get nervous on opening nights then? I go for a walk. Gary Hines always says she never goes, she's never in on, you know, she's there but you know there's nothing you can do. And usually an opening night, particularly in the McNally, every seat is very precious. So I don't think it helps them that I'm there. It helps them that I'm around, obviously, that I haven't just, you know, you know, gotten the go bus. But, uh, <laughs> but um, so I usually go for a walk. I'll go down the, the pier or, um, or sit in Freenies <laughs> and do the crossword and then come back and, and just celebrate with them. It's a lovely thing, and opening nights at the McLally are just the most lovely, lovely events. The last return runs from the 8th to the 23rd of July, and you can get all the information you need at giaf.ie. My name is Paul Fay, and I'm the Artistic Director of Galway International Arts Festival. And amongst the many things in the theatre, opera and dance programme this year, uh, to select a few highlights, uh, I'm hugely excited about the return of the great Steppenwolf from Chicago. Um, we're an associate producer with them on the great Sam Shepard's play, True West. What's really wonderful about this, this, this show made Steppenwolf's name in 1982, and they are the, they are the great ensemble in America. Uh, they're like the druid of of, of, of the, the of America. They're really, really, really wonderful. They rarely, if ever, re um, uh, reinspect or reproduce a show that they've that they have uh, had have in their canon, and they've chosen to do so with this particular one. And the, the cast, also um, part of the Seventh Ensemble, are um, largely an African American cast. They are stunning beyond description. The performances um, by 
John Hill and Namir, they are just two of the best actors I've seen of their generation in America. And I am beside myself with the excitement that, that uh, we're getting to work with Stephen Wolf at, at the Town Hall this year. Um, also, uh, another big, big production from the States is Jeff Sobel's Home. And Jeff Sobel is an incredible artist. He's a theatre maker, he's an illusionist, he is, he's a choreographer and this show uses all of those elements to tell a story of what makes a house a home and it looks over uh, generations of people who've lived in this particular house. So you're looking at this incredible scene, the show starts off on an empty stage, he walks out, he turns around, he looks upstage, there's nothing there. 90 seconds later, a full house has appeared and you're in just in awe of how has that happened in front of my eyes and how technically have they made that happen. It's, it is one of those shows that in 10, 15, 20 years time, people will say, do you remember seeing Home? And you know, speaking 10, 15, 20 years time, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I first met Jeff Sobel in Edinburgh. Um, he was just out of college. He just finished uh, at the Jack Lecoq in Paris and he had this fantastic small simple show called All Wear Bowlers and I tried for three years to bring that to Ireland couldn't do it just because of timing I've been a big fan following his career since then and this is without question his best show and it's been a huge hit in the Sydney Festival the Edinburgh Festival at BAM in New York thrilled that we have it in Galway I can't not talk about theatre and not mention our wonderful partnership and relationship with the great Enda Walsh who is our, our greatest living playwright. We are thrilled that Landmark Productions and Irish National Opera are bringing The First Child which is the third in a trilogy of um, operas by Donica Dennehy the composer and by Enda who's written the book and um, is directing. Um, it is again it's a stunning visual piece um, of storytelling. It's happening in the university grounds in Bailey Allen Hall which we're converting into a theatre. It's got all the components I'm sure lots, lots of listeners will have seen the, the second violinist which was here uh, a couple of years ago all that like stunning visuals, incredible choral work, beautiful um, sopranos and an incredible contralto. Um, a, a great, great story, but sort of like a suburban horror story, if you like. It is beyond stunning. It's so good. Uh, so thrilled to have that. And then, and, uh, of course, and myself have been working on a series of immersive uh, theatre installations called Rooms over the last nine years. Uh, this year is uh, the piece is called Middle Bedroom. It takes place in the upstairs of a council house and is voiced by Rory Nolan. And it's there's such a great twist at the end of it that I think audiences will be going away going, oh my God. So uh, thrilled to, uh, to be continuing that, uh, that series of work. Thank you so much for listening. All the info you need can be found on GIAF.ie. Join us for our next episode all about everything else you can look forward to at this year's festival. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Andy Gaffney and Orla Higgins. Special thanks to Flirt FM at NUI Galway. Information for all shows can be found at GIAF.ie.